Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Before I preach a word, I want to wish a happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, grandfathers, godfathers, happy Father's Day to everybody. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like, are they going to say, and right back at you? I, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. All right, well, friends, we come to the solemnity of Corpus Christi, the most holy body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ for us as Catholics. The Eucharist, of course, right? It's the source and summit of our faith, right? The source and summit because everything we have as Catholics flows from the Eucharist and everything we do as disciples of Jesus flows back to the Eucharist because the Eucharist is not a inert thing. It's not a what, it's a who, right? It's a person. It's Jesus himself, right? A person is at the heart of our faith. This incredible gift of Jesus that he comes in the flesh 2,000 years ago and he continues to be among us, Emmanuel, on our altars every day of our lives, right? A person is at the heart of our faith. It's really important for us to just get that straight, right? Not an idea, not a set of ideas, not a creed, although all of those things are very important to us as Catholics, right? The intellectual life, we've got the creed, Nicene Creed, Apostles' Creed, all those things. But not even a book is at the center of our faith. A person, it's the Word made flesh who's at the center. This incredible gift of Jesus in the Eucharist, Jesus' body and blood, this has been the line drawn in the sand since the beginning. Jesus' body has always been controversial. Right? Remember back in John 6, you got Jesus preaching to the multitudes at the synagogue of Capernaum. He'd just been feeding the 5,000. They come to Capernaum. He starts telling them about the miraculous bread that he intends to give them. And He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And it's at that point where the crowd begins to murmur amongst themselves. And they say, this is a hard teaching. And it's at that point, the multitude who had been following him, they turn and depart. That's John chapter 6, verse 66. And that's John 666, if you're paying attention. That's when the crowds leave the Lord. The Lord's body has always been a stumbling block from the very beginning. Could it really be that he's lying there in a manger? Could it really be that he's working there in Nazareth? Could it really be that he's walking along the seashore? God walking along the seashore. Could it really be that he's crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could it really be that he's dead in a tomb? Again, unlike every other world religion, and I mean that, unlike every other world religion that puts ideas, that puts formulas at the center of their faith, Christianity puts a body at the center of our faith, right? In the liturgy, the high point of the liturgy is, this is my body given up for you. At the climax, right, I will elevate the chalice and the host, and I'll say, behold the Lamb of God. In other words, look at him. And I'm asking you to look at this person who's right here, right? That's the center point of the faith. And that's tough, this idea of a body being at the center of our faith. That's tough for our modern sensibilities, right? Because the world we live in, We're so schizophrenic when it comes to our approach to the body. We have body idolization on one hand and body hatred on the other hand. We've got a culture that is so body obsessed, a multi-trillion dollar industry that's all aimed at accentuating the body, highlighting the body, the cosmetics and clothing and surgery and this and this and that. A body idolization. And at the same time, we have this body demonization, this body hatred, a culture that hates the body. Our bodily limitations 
are bodies that age and break down and eventually die. There's a hatred for the body and an idolization of the body. So where's the church on that? The church says the body matters. The body matters. Your flesh matters. Because we are body persons. We are not souls trapped in bodies. Right? When you die, it's not as though like finally your body goes here and your soul finally can be freed of its cage of your body. That's not what we believe. Yes, at death there's a disintegration of body and soul, but that's not what God willed. That's why in the end we get our bodies back. Right? The resurrection of the body. We are not souls trapped in bodies. The body reveals the person, right? Right now, I'm using my body to reveal the interior world of me. As I'm preaching, I'm using my mouth. My ha- I use my hands a lot, right? People tell me I use my hands a lot. Right? I'm Italian when I'm preaching, I guess, right? <clears throat> we use our bodies to reveal the person, and what I do with my body matters. This is why our Catholic worship, friends, this is why from the very beginning, our worship as Catholics is so sensual, and I mean that in the best of sense. Right? We stand, we sit, We kneel, we process in, we have smells that bombard your nose, we have sounds that hit your ears, right? You listen to things, you smell things, you take things in, you touch things, you literally taste things, right? Every one of your five senses is bombarded in the liturgy. Why? Because the liturgy is trying to make the invisible mystery of God visible through the physical, The liturgy is making the invisible mystery visible through the physical. And over the centuries, what the church has done, the church has developed customs and traditions, rituals, gestures, signs, and symbols, right, in the Mass and in her liturgies that make the invisible mystery visible, that make it more perceptible, right? The tradition of chanting, the tradition of iconography, especially in the Eastern Rite, stained glass, statues, right? There was a heresy called iconoclasm, which was smashing icons, getting rid of icons. The church condemned this as a heresy because we said, no, no, we need these visual symbols that engage our bodies, that engage our eyes and our senses, that enable us to enter into the invisible mystery. We need that. We need all the signs, the smells, the bells. We need it. We need it. The church has come to see that every detail matters. Every detail matters. The small things, the big things. Nothing we do in the Mass is incidental. Nothing is a throwaway gesture. Well, just because. We just need to get from A to B, right? Everything in the Mass matters. Every gesture, every little word, it matters. Every word of the Creed, people shed blood over those words because they matter. Right? Is Jesus consubstantial with the Father? Right? People died defending that for that one word. <clears throat> they died defending that. Everything we do with our bodies during the Mass matters. So today with this Solemnity of Corpus Christi, <clears throat> maybe you've heard about this, the U.S. bishops are launching a three-year plan to bring about a renewal in the heart of the faithful. A Eucharistic revival is what they're calling it. Why? Because they want to reawaken faith and awe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Since sadly, so many good Catholics, people who come to Mass, so many Catholics have lost faith in this. A Pew Research study came out about three years or so ago 
revealing that of those Catholics who come to Mass, self-reported Catholics who come to Mass, nearly 60%, almost two-thirds, do not believe in the real presence. And the bishops are like, oh, shoot. We've messed up somewhere along the line. We need to bring a revival to the faith of the people. That's why after Mass today, we're launching the Eucharistic Revival here at Sacred Heart by doing a procession out of the church into the heart of Wadsworth, past Valley Cafe, down Boyer, back up Humboldt to do benediction on the front steps of the church. Everybody in Mass today <clears throat> is welcome to join us and encouraged to join us as we bring our Lord Jesus out into the streets. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So what has contributed to this decline of faith in the real presence? I mean, there's so many things, many factors that have gone into this, but one in particular that Father Joe and I, in our shared conversation as your spiritual fathers, that we want to draw your attention to as we start this Eucharistic revival is, is one in particular. So in the church, we have a principle. There's a liturgical principle. It goes like this. Of course, it's in Latin, so stay with me. It goes, lex orandi, let me hear you, lex orandi, Lex credendi. Lex orandi, lex credendi. It means the law of faith, or no, the law of prayer governs the law of belief. That's what this means. Lex orandi, lex credendi. In other words, how we pray reveals and shapes what we believe. How we pray here reveals and shapes what we believe. You know, in the United States, beginning around the year 19, in the 1970s, the vast majority of Catholics began to receive Holy Communion in a totally new way. Namely, in the hand while standing. And this change was so different from how the vast majority of Catholics throughout most of church history received the Lord's precious body and blood. And it seems to me that this change in the Lex Orandi, how we pray, how we worship, has had an impact on the lex credendi of the faithful, what they believe. It's hard to see, it's hard to deny <clears throat> this, this correlation. All right, so three things. I want to talk briefly, because I don't think my voice is going to last much longer. I want to talk briefly about the history behind this development. I want to talk about the effect that I believe it's had, and I want to offer a gentle invitation from the heart of your spiritual father I mean, it is Father's Day after all, right? Fathers, their job is to teach and to lovingly challenge their children. So teaching and lovingly challenging you today, all right? So three things. So while it's true that in the early church there were traditions of communion being distributed on the hand to the faithful, right? We see that in writings like Cyril of Jerusalem and uh, I think it's John Chrysostom. Anyway, the Latin church, which we are, right, the Roman Catholic church, the Latin church eventually moved to a consensus around the 8th or 9th century that communion ought to be distributed to the faithful on the tongue while kneeling. So according to a 1969 papal document by Pope Paul VI, Pope St. Paul VI, it's called Memoriali Domini, in response to all these, he wrote this document in 1969 in response to all these European bishops and priests who were kind of in rebellion and just experimenting with distribution of communion. Um, in Memoriale Domini, the church, we hear this. Because of the church's deepening understanding of the truth of the Eucharistic mystery, of its power, and of the presence of Christ in it, there came a greater feeling of reverence towards this sacrament, and a deeper humility was felt to be demanded when receiving it. 
Thus the custom was established of the minister placing a particle of the consecrated bread on the tongue of the communicant. It's according to the church, right? Church teaching. Again, why? Because the body matters. The body matters. How we pray matters. It makes the invisible visible. What the church saw, eventually this growing consensus, was that the outward bodily gesture that was most fitting for that moment, the reception of Holy Eucharist, was to receive him kneeling and on the tongue. That's what the church saw. Right? The unspoken teaching that was communicated, that was whispered into the hearts of the faithful through that ritual gesture was this, right? This is sacred food. This is something sublime, something otherworldly, something so holy, something so different than the kind of food you normally eat. This is something that only the holy consecrated hands of a priest can touch. And it's placed upon my tongue. Not because I'm bad or unworthy, right? After all, the Eucharistic Lord wants to come into my mouth, down my throat, down my gullet, into my stomach, into my body and soul, right? It's not as though I'm an unworthy, unfit vessel. It's this, that he is so sublime. He's so majestically, gloriously, unbelievably present. And receiving him in this way helps my little skeptical heart to believe in the real presence more readily. After all, this is the line that the crowds who were with Jesus himself, like, this is too much. Like, this is probably one of the hardest parts of our Catholic faith, to believe that this miracle actually happens. That the God who hung the stars hides himself in bread? What? We need everything possible to dispose our hearts to believe that. That's why we need all the smells, the bells. We need to pull out all the stops because our hearts are so skeptical. Because it's a crazy thing to believe. Okay. So communion on the tongue was the norm for the Latin church for centuries. So when and how and why did that change? It changed in the Protestant Reformation with reformers like the Anglican named Martin Bucer who after he broke communion with the church, he deliberately introduced communion on the hand to contradict the church teaching, a teaching that he said was religious, superstitious nonsense. So this Protestant-style communion on the hand was not at all like the ancient Christian custom. Right When John Chrysostom, when Cyril of Jerusalem write about communion on the hand, the communicant would approach, their hands would be incensed before they received. They would kiss the hands of the priest. They would extend their hands. The host would be placed upon their hands. And then you would lean down and receive the host from your hand, not picking it up with your other hand. And that remains the church teaching today for communion on the hand. Most of us don't do it that way. Why? Because most of us weren't taught. It doesn't make us bad, it just means we weren't taught. So fast forward to the 20th century. You've got Catholic priests, you've got bishops in Europe, predominantly in these Protestant countries, who are experimenting with communion on the hand, distributing communion like Protestants distribute communion. And this just takes off. This just spreads like wildfire everywhere. The Holy See, the Vatican in 1965 began sending letters to these bishops, these priests saying, you have to cease, you have to desist, you must stop this, this is not the norm, this is not what we do. It didn't stop. They were in open rebellion. Then in 1967, the Dutch Catechism comes out, the first catechism after the Second Vatican Council, where the bishops deny that Christ is present 
in the fragments, the little particles of the host. Right, so if you were to take a communion host, break it down, they, they said that once it was basically crumbs, Jesus was no longer present there. So what that introduced was this belief that said, well, that it doesn't really matter how you receive on the hand, on the tongue, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Then in 1968, Pope Paul VI releases Humanae Vitae, the, the encyclical on the church's teaching on contraception, which was so widely rejected. And at this point, you have massive dissent taking place across the globe. Basically, bishops, priests saying, we're not really listening to you anymore, Pope. So the Pope asks the bishops, what should we do about this? Overwhelmingly, the bishops said that communion on the tongue should be retained as the norm. Pope Paul VI releases that document that I referenced, Memoriale Domini 1969, which I quoted earlier, stating again that this is the norm. This is the norm of the church, communion on the tongue. But the question became, what do we do about these bishops who are in open rebellion? What do we do? So the Pope came up with the idea, <clears throat> we are going to grant them an indult. Okay, now an indult. Are you still with me? You with me? Okay. I'm barely able to talk. I just need to make sure that you're still with me. Okay. So the <clears throat> an indult is a, ex, an exemption, an exception from the universal norm. So it's like a special exception. So the Pope grants an indult to these rebellious bishops. Why? Because he was thinking it's better to have them not be in open rebellion than to have them be distributing communion on the hand. And he thought, okay, we're going to grant them the indult, say you're allowed to do this as long as you take care of these certain specifications and hopefully we'll be able to curtail it and rein this back in. That never happened. And it spread, it spread, it spread. It backfired. The practice and the communion of the hand spread everywhere, which brings us to nearly every Catholic parish today. Now, please, at this point, please, 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 Hear me rightly, if you can hear me at all. Dear Jesus, give me a voice. Okay, because of the indult, reception in the hand is a legitimate option. I'm not condemning anybody for receiving communion on the hand. Believe me, I'm not. Please hear me. I know many of us in this parish receive Jesus on the hand in this way with great reverence, and thank you for that. But if... How we pray reveals what we believe. If it shapes our beliefs, then we have to acknowledge that it's possible that removing the traditional external signs of reverence, kneeling, communion on the hand, or communion on the tongue, etc., has affected people's belief in the true presence. If Lex Orandi and Lex Credendi go together, we have to see that this is possible. Right, because our bodies matter, the gestures matter, they speak. Like we can all agree that there are certain bodily gestures, there's, there's an inappropriate way that someone could receive Jesus in communion, right? Someone coming up, arms folded, right? If I've got my arms folded, what is this bodily gesture communicating? What am I saying? It means I, I don't care, like, I, like I'm casual, this is like whatever, right? If I come up chewing gum, you know, my hands are completely filthy. It all is like, that's not exactly appropriate for what you're about to do. If we can see that on one end, there's certain bodily gestures that are inappropriate, then perhaps we can see that on the other end, there are gestures that are more fitting to reveal the truth of what's happening. Some gestures obscure the truth. Some gestures more powerfully reveal that truth. 
You with me? Does that make sense? Okay, so then what actually is happening when you come forward to receive Jesus? It's that though I, an unworthy sinner, I'm approaching the King of kings, the Lord of lords, hidden in a tiny piece of bread. I come to him as part of the bride of Christ to open and receive the love of my bridegroom. I come hungry to the eternal feast. I come a beggar to the king of kings. I come as a child who opens wide his mouth to receive good food from my father, right? I come and I have nothing to offer except my openness. I'm nothing on my own. I can do nothing on my own, right? That's what's happening in that moment. So what bodily gestures more fittingly reveal that? The church has said over the centuries, it's communion of the tongue that more eloquently reveals that. So friends, as we launch into this Eucharistic revival journey over these next few years, Father Joe and I want to invite us all into deeper reverence, deeper appreciation of Jesus' most supplying gift in the Eucharist. This, as a, we as a parish are already so, I don't know, I think attuned to this. We have a beautiful Eucharistic piety, I think because of our adoration chapel. Look, if you receive in the hand, I want to invite you to be far more aware of the little tiny fragments that might still be on your palm. And I want to invite you to consider receiving the way that the early church received on the hand, which is to bow down and receive, to not pick him up with your other hand. But even more, I want to invite you to try receiving the Lord in the more traditional way. That's on the tongue, right? You just open your mouth and you stick out your tongue. I bet many of you for many years have wanted to stick your tongue out at a priest. Well, this is when you can do it. If you're uncomfortable, that's fine, right? No rush, no judgment. This is just a fatherly encouragement, right? Because the body matters, the flesh matters, how we worship matters. The physical gestures, they reveal the invisible mystery. So on this Father's Day, let us be so grateful for the gift of Jesus' flesh and blood given to us to save us. Amen.